a timeline of where we as believers are in what we're looking at in Revelation. And as we will be looking at the marriage supper of the Lamb and, and how does all this happen with, with us as believers. And again, you go back to Revelation 1 and John is told to write the things he sees. That's what he gives us in the first chapter of Revelation of, of this vision that he is getting on the island of Patmos and the vision of our risen Lord in his glory presenting this to him. And he's told to write what he sees, and that is that. And the things that are, and those are the seven letters to the churches. And then it transitions into the things that are to come. And that's what you see in Revelation 4, when John is escorted and shown the throne room of God. And there are the 24 elders there and others. And as we, I said when we looked at that, that I believe those 24 elders are a, a representation of believers from the church age of the overcomers of those who have been given this position to cast their crowns to the Lord to worship him in his throne room and so how did they get there how did that transition happen from the church age to then what John sees at the throne room prior to the tribulation beginning right as it begins and that's the rapture. So we're going to turn to 1 Thessalonians 4.13. Before we begin reading there, I'll go ahead and, and pray. Heavenly Father, be with us this morning as we open your word. We thank you for your promises that you have made throughout uh, your relationship with men. The promises you made to Adam and Eve that you would solve the sin problem and the promises that you've made to Abraham and to Moses and to David and Lord to your church and we thank you for those and the, the hope and the assurance they give us because we know who you are we know that you are good and that you love us in Jesus name we pray amen again I apologize I'm a little out of sorts <laughs> this morning going back to preaching to the camera, but we are going to be in 1 Thessalonians 4, starting in verse 13. Paul says, We do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, so that you will not grieve as the rest, as do the rest who have no hope. Again, those who are asleep are those who are dead physically. Paul wanted to put any concerns to rest that those who had already died are going to miss out on being with Jesus forever. But they didn't have to physically live until he came back. Verse 14, he says, For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. So those who, believers who have passed away, have gone to be with the Lord, who have died, 
they get a head start on those who are alive. God is going to raise them like he raised Jesus from the dead, is what Paul is saying. Verse 17, Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore comfort one another with these words. He continues in chapter 5, Now as the times and the epochs, brethren, you have no need of anything to be written to you, For you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. While they are saying peace and safety, then destruction will come upon them suddenly like labor pains upon a woman with child, and they will not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness that the day would overtake you like a thief. For you are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of night nor of darkness." So Paul there is describing a time when the church will be taken up to be with Jesus. This resurrection of those who have passed away and this gathering of those who are alive is going to take place. And then as he continued there in chapter 5, he says it's going to happen like a thief in the night. So as I said, if we're looking at a timeline of where we're at in Revelation and what happens between the end of chapter 3, the end of Jesus' letters to his churches and to his church, they are applicable for us today in knowing how we can live to please the Lord, how we can serve him, and what he finds displeasing. When that ends and John is taken to the throne room, I believe the rapture has already happened prior to the tribulation. Why do I believe that? First of all, I don't think the tribulation has anything to do with us. That the tribulation is God's time when he is going to restore Israel to himself. We've looked at it before, but I think it's important in this context. It's Daniel 9. Daniel is given a vision or he's been given all these visions and he's given interpretations and then he comes to God and he's confessing his sins and the sins of the people and Gabriel comes to him to tell him how long this punishment is going to last. Verse 24 says, Seventy weeks have been decreed for your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end to sin, to make an atonement for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. So you are to know and discern from the issuing of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the Messiah, the Prince, there there will be seven weeks and 62 weeks, and it will be built again with the plaza and a moat, even in times of distress. So again, this is from when the temple is rebuilt until Jesus is there was 69 prophetic weeks. And then after the 62 weeks, the Messiah will be cut off and have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. And its end will come with a flood. Even to the end, there will be war and desolations are determined. And he will make a firm covenant 
with many for one week, but in the middle of the week he will put a stop to sacrifice and grain offering, and on the wing of abominations will come one who makes desolate, even until complete destruction, one that is decreed, is poured out on the one who makes desolate. So again, this is a prophecy of the tribulation, of the Antichrist and the treaties he will make and the abomination of desolation that will take place in the temple and all of these signs that are for Israel for getting them back to where Gabriel starts there in verse 24 with this time where iniquity will stop atonement will be made everlasting righteousness will be introduced and he's talking about the messianic kingdom that was promised to the Jews and in the Old Testament, we don't see the church. But when Jesus came, he said in Matthew 16 that he was going to build his church, his group of called out people, his ecclesia. And that is us. But this time of tribulation isn't for us. It's for Israel. And as we see in Revelation 7, as the tribulation begins, that God puts a halt to things so he can seal his 144,000. And these are literal Jews because... Anytime you have exact numbers, and he tells us what tribe they're going to be from, this is a literal 144,000 Jewish people that will be miraculously saved and sealed for the work of God during that time. And you take a look, we had our men's breakfast on Saturday, and Andy talked about the new covenant. And something interesting you look at here, when you see that the Abrahamic covenant was unconditional, God said, I am going to do these things for you. I am going to give you this land. I'm going to bless the world through you. I'm going to make you a great nation. None of that was dependent upon Abraham doing anything. But then you get to the Mosaic Covenant, and God says, if you do these things, I will be with you. But if you don't do these things, there will be all of these punishments and consequences. And then you get to the New Covenant in Jeremiah 31. Jeremiah 31, 31. He says, Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant which I made with their fathers in the day I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant which they broke, although I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. But this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them on their heart. I will write it, and I will be their God, and they shall be my, my people. They will not teach again, each man his neighbor and each man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they will all know me. From the least of them to the greatest of them, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity, and their sin I will remember no more. God is promising through the prophet Jeremiah there a time that would come for Israel when they would again be his people and that they would know him. And this is a time like is promised through the prophet Daniel that is going to bring an end to iniquity. Atonement is going to be made. Everlasting righteousness will be there. Again, this is the messianic kingdom that has been promised. And that time of tribulation, that seven years, is a time where God is going to bring 
Israel back to himself to fulfill those promises. That as a church, we don't take the place of those promises. Now, when we look at the new covenant, we are benefactors of the new covenant. That the promise made to Abraham that God would bless the whole world through him, we are benefactors of that. When Jesus initiated the new covenant with his blood on the cross, we became benefactors of God's promise to Israel. But this is a promise to them that he will make good on. And he's going to use that time of the tribulation to bring Israel back to himself for the rain that will come at the end of it. The second reason is that Jesus prophesied about the rapture And he prophesied that that event could take place at any moment. For that, I want to go back to Matthew 24. We'll look at several things that Jesus has to say here in Matthew 24, because in this passage, he has two very different messages to two very different groups of people. As the passage starts out, Jesus is asked by his disciples when his kingdom is going to come in. Again, this is days before his crucifixion. As he is leaving the temple and his disciples are pointing out all the buildings and how glorious everything is, and they say, well, when are you going to take over? And Jesus begins to describe a terrible time on this earth. And you get to verse 29. It says, but immediately after the tribulation, in the Greek there, the word is phlipsis. It means final birth pains. The sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from the sky, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky. It's going to become visible. It means thereby the sign. It will, it will be evident. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of, of the sky with power and great glory. And he will send forth his angels with a great trumpet, and they will gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of the sky to the other. So what he's talking about there is something that is visible. Paul described it, the rapture is coming like a thief in the night. Jesus will too. What he's describing there is his glorious return is something that is going to be visible and predictable. If today the sun stops shining... It just went out like our electricity has here in the church. And the lights go off and the internet turns off. And Then we would know, get ready, Jesus is coming. That's not a thief in the night. That is predictable. As he's gone through, there are a bunch of other signs that the people can know of timing of when this is going to happen. All of these things that Jesus points to here are then elaborated on in his revelation of himself to John in the book of Revelation. 
things that can be seen during the tribulation that will add up to when Jesus' physical return to earth will happen. He goes on then into the parable of the fig tree. He says, Now learn from the parable of the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and it puts forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. So you too, when you see these things, recognize that he is near right at the door. And so I think, when I think of this, I think of back years ago when I started working at the funeral home. And winter in Columbus it wasn't the hardest winter you've ever imagined, but it was just gray all the time and cold and you just missed the sun. And I remember every year I was there, out back behind our back door, there was a grassy area and near that there was a flower bed. And every spring, these tulip shoots would start coming up through the ground. And it was like the sign of hope that soon we're going to have the sun again. Things are going to warm up soon. And Jesus is saying that here about the fig tree. They know when they would see its branches become tender and the leaves would come out that summer was near. Just like they could know that. They knew the signs of the physical world around them, that they could know the signs of when he was coming back. As he says there in 33, so you too, when you see all these things, recognize that he is near, right at the door. And he says in verse 34, truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until these things take place. I've heard that verse used in several different ways, but what I believe Jesus is saying there is he's talking to the Jewish people that will be living during the tribulation saying, as bad as things are, you can make it through it. That I am coming back to rescue you. This is not going to go on forever. I am not going to allow you all to be annihilated. I am with you. And these things must take place, but I am coming back, and you can know when. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. So again, if you go back to the very beginning of the chapter, when his disciples asking this question, they want to know, when his kingdom is going to start and he's given all of these signs of when his kingdom will start because at the end of the tribulation as we will be getting to in our study of revelation at the end of the tribulation he's going to physically come back to this earth and at that time he will rule and reign on this earth for a thousand years and that is the beginning of his reign and so he's giving the signs to his disciples and those who will be living during that time of this is what to look for. But then he makes a transition when we get to verse 36. Because the disciples wanted to know when, Jesus has given the signs that will lead up to it, but as far as when those signs will begin, that is what he's going to get to here. Got way ahead of myself here. 
So in our English translation, it just sort of flows from one into the next. But there at the beginning of verse 36, in our English translation, it says, but of that day and hour. The but there in the Greek is paradei. It means now concerning that day, that period, that point of time. It's really like he's saying, let's go, let's go back to what we were talking about. Let's go back to when all this is going to happen. It isn't just flowing from one into the next. It's, it's Jesus saying, now concerning your original question, when all this is going to take place, he says, no one can know. But of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone. So their question about when these things will begin, Jesus says, no one can know. Not even I know. And sort of my standard answer for whenever people ask me, do you think that we are near the end? Sure looks like it. But if Jesus said that only the Father knows, not even himself, nor the angels in heaven, then I'm certainly not going to proclaim in all of my knowledge that I, I can know for sure. That if in 1 Thessalonians 4, when Paul says, but we who are alive, I mean, he was assuming he was going to see the rapture. There are generations after generations of believers who have looked at the times and said it, it must be soon. But as we're going to get to, the great thing about that is that's how we're supposed to be living. Like we can look around and say, it could be today. Jesus wants to live every day like today could be the day that he is coming back. He continues in verse 37, For the coming of the Son of Man will be just like the days of Noah. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. And they did not understand until the flood came and took them all away. So will the coming of the Son of Man be. Again, we can look at the days of Noah and that man's heart was intent only on doing evil and look at our time and think it sure seems like it. But the point there is that despite, despite Noah's warnings no one listened. No one believed that there could ever be a flood. But it was coming. And just like they were caught by surprise so will the world be when Jesus comes and raptures his church because that is going to initiate these end times that Jesus has talked about here, this time of tribulation. And he then gives a description in verse 40 of what it's going to be like, 40 and 41. Then there will be two men in the field, one will be taken and one will be left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken and one will be left. It's this picture of him coming and 
bringing his church to himself, that suddenly there are going to be people just gone. We don't know when. We can't know when. But we know that it's going to happen. He then continues on in his speaking there to about the rapture and he gives the parable here that therefore be on alert for you do not know which day your Lord is coming be sure of this that if the head of the house had known at what time of the night the thief was coming he would have been on alert and would not have allowed for his house to be broken into and if you if you have warning of something bad that's going to happen you're going to be ready. You're going to be prepared. But if you are asleep and not on alert, you're going to get, you're going to lose out. And that's what Jesus is saying there in, in describing it coming as a thief in the night. Now to those who aren't living every day like it could be today, it's not that you won't be taken for us believers, it's that if you aren't living in the ways that he has asked you to live, then you're going to miss out on his reward. Something will be taken from you like the homeowner who was not ready for the thief. 44, for this reason you must also be ready for the Son of Man is coming in an hour when you do not think he will. Who then is the faithful and sensible slave whom his master put in charge of his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that slave whom his master finds doing so when he comes. And Jesus there is describing to us as believers that, that he's given us a responsibility right now. That as believers in him, we've been given his spirit, we've been given spiritual gifts Ephesians 2.10 says he has predestined good works for us to do. Are we doing them? Like the servant who was given the job of feeding the household, are we doing what we have been, the responsibilities we've been given to do? Because when he comes home, if he finds us not doing it, then there will be no reward in that. Truly I say to you that he will put him in charge of all his possessions, that there will be great reward for faithfulness in this life and what he has given us. But if that evil slave says in his heart, my master is not coming home for a long time and begins to beat his fellow slaves and eat and drink with drunkards, the master of that slave will come on a day when he does not expect him and an hour which he does not know. But this is a warning that if you're not doing these things and Jesus is coming back and you think, well, I have time. I'm, I'm still young. I'm going to, you know, I'll live for the Lord later. Right now, I really need to, to be focused on my career. Or I need to focus on my children. I'll serve at church when my children are gone. But right now, I really need to focus on this. Or, you know, I would witness to my neighbors, but I'm, I'm so busy. 
We don't know when that time is coming. And we need to be living every day like it's today. Every opportunity that's put in front of us to serve, we take a hold of it and we do it with all our heart. Because it could be at any time. So going back to the, my original question I posed there, why do I believe that the tribulation happens, or that rapture happens before the tribulation? And again, this is, not only is the tribulation not about us, but you can't make sense of what Jesus is saying in Matthew 24 without this being to two different people groups. Because he gives all of these signs of things that will happen before his physical return to earth, but then he also says that his coming is going to be like a thief in the night. That not even he knows when it's going to be. That coming is a coming for his church. Again, what we call the rapture. That is going to initiate these signs that will be visible and clearly understood that will point to when the end of that time will be. So that's why I think that for us as a church, we're not preparing for the rapture as he tells these Jewish people that you have to build yourself up, strengthen yourself in God and his knowledge and the things that he has for you because you have three and a half years where things are going to be bad but manageable and you have three and a half years where you need to run, run for the hills. He's given that to them because they need to know those things and they need to know the signs to be able to make it through. But for us, we need to be living every day like it could be today. And if it would happened at the middle of the tribulation or the end of the tribulation, then we, like the Jews living in the tribulation, 